You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Great. Good. Y'all still full? Is anybody tired of turkey? That you're like, I've had enough. We have had turkey for every meal since Thanksgiving. No, nobody's tired of turkey. You're just still liking it. Uh, hope you guys had a, had a great Thanksgiving. This is a weird year because, like, normally we go straight from Thanksgiving into Advent, but Advent doesn't technically start till next week. So there's just like this weird, like, in between week that it's like, okay, well, it's not Thanksgiving. It's not Advent, so what, what are we going to do? And I, I couldn't help but think about the idea of waiting. The idea of waiting. How many of you guys like to wait? I didn't think so. Yeah, nobody likes to wait. I dislike waiting so much that two different times, two different times in my life, I have waited in line, both for uh, the iPad, the second iPad when it came out, and the Xbox 360. I have waited in line uh, for the Xbox. It was I waited until midnight. And the GameCube, three times. I've done this three times. I hate waiting so much that I will wait so I don't have to wait. You understand what I'm saying? For the 360, that's how I spent my New Year's when I was 16 years old. As I was sitting in line in a Walmart because they were going to start selling them at midnight on January 1st. So I just sat there in line for like six hours waiting so that I could get one and not have to wait months, right? Because I wanted, listen, I like video games and that's okay, okay? I don't do it. I don't think, okay, maybe some of you think I would play video games too much, but I don't. I like to balance that's, that's my escape, okay? Some people read, some people work out. Maybe I should do that more. Uh, but I like video games, okay? But nobody likes to wait. Nobody likes to wait. And I couldn't help but think about the nation of Israel as they are waiting on the Messiah, right? We, we, we look at the, the advent, which is the, the first coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. But before that, there was a lot of waiting. A lot of waiting. A lot of waiting. If you look at the book, if you look at scripture, the time between the last prophet, which was Malachi, not just chronologically, but like he was actually the last prophet, until the appearance of John the Baptist, which is really what kicks off the Messiah coming, is the, the appearance of John the Baptist is kind of like the first, well, I mean, technically, he was, she was pregnant first. But the next prophet was John the Baptist. The nation of Israel was used to hearing from God through these prophets. And this is, this is up until Malachi, and then there are 400 years of silence. That period in your Bible between where it says Old Testament and where it says New Testament, that little part right there, is called the 400 years of silence. That's what most people call it. There were 400 years where they didn't hear anything from God. They knew there were all these prophecies. They knew there was the Messiah was coming. But then there's this period of waiting. For, for frame of reference, 400 years ago for us was before, uh, it was right before they settled in Boston. So Boston was, Boston was not around yet, okay? The Red Sox weren't playing yet. 
There was no great seafood. I mean, I guess the seafood was probably still there, but like there weren't the restaurants, right? They had just settled Plymouth Rock. Like we're aware just after that is 400 years ago from today. You think about the entire history of the United States, that there was nothing from God. Absolutely nothing. Just waiting. And what I think is interesting is that there's kind of two different types of waiting, right? There's waiting, and then there's anticipation. Waiting is, is what we all don't like. Like, none of us like waiting uh, at the DMV. Nobody likes it. Nobody, nobody at the DMV is ever happy, other than, like, the 16-year-old who's getting his license that day. Maybe he's the only happy one there, and you're like, oh, I wish I had your happiness to drive. I just want to not be here uh, anymore. Or even for me, like, waiting in line at a roller coaster, that's what I don't like about Six Flags is, like, you have to wait in line, and there's always that, like, teenage couple that's touching each other a little too much, and you're like, you're in public. Please stop. And you just have to sit there and wait, and it's way too hot. Nobody's like, what's your favorite part of Six Flags? Waiting in line. I love it. I love to just go wait in lines. Even, even that, we're like, no, I don't like to wait in line. That's why they have the, like, the flash pass. And like, we try to get through the waits as fast as possible. Waiting on a package to arrive. You're like, you keep checking out the window. You're like, is he, when's it? I'm tired of waiting. I'm ready. You check the, check the tracking number. You're like, when's it coming? How, how slow is my postal worker going to be today? You know? And then there's waiting, like you might be waiting at your job on a promotion that's like, I hope it comes someday. Or maybe you're waiting on a spouse or a significant other and you're like, man, someday it's going to come, right? But there's no real like, hey, I know that it's coming. There's no anticipation. It's just kind of this long waiting. And, and what's interesting is, is that kind of waiting, when you look at the kind of waiting that we don't enjoy, it challenges the things of Advent, Right? It challenges our joy. When we look at Advent, we've got joy, hope, peace, and love. Waiting challenges our joy. It challenges our peace. It challenges our hope. It challenges our love. People at the DMV, not the most loving people, right? Like, mostly the people waiting. The workers, I got nothing. They, I feel bad for them. They have to deal with all these people with no hope, no peace, no love, no joy, right? Like, that's who you're dealing with on a daily basis. No wonder they're exhausted. But waiting, that kind of waiting challenges and robs us of the things of Advent. Now, you, you contrast that with anticipation. You want to see anticipation? Ask any, any kid if they're excited for Christmas. Ask any kid. It might as well be tomorrow. Like, they have no, they have no like, oh, it's never going to get here. No, they're like, I'm so excited. Like, their joy, their hope, their peace, their love for Christmas is way bigger than how the waiting period feels to them. Zeke asks just about every day, how many days until Christmas? I know that we're under 37 because the last time he asked was a couple days ago and it was 37 days until Christmas because he asks every other day pretty much. There's this anticipation that it's like, I'm so excited. It's how you might feel about, about the, next, the next Georgia game. It's like, I can't wait. Like, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm ready for it, you know? It's like, I'm, I'm ready. I want it. I'm ready for it to be here. I'm excited. It's, it's an excited version of waiting. Waiting, the, the, the kind of waiting that we get drawn into is, is hard. There's this sense of unknown of like, I don't know when this waiting is going to be over. I don't know when they're going to call my number. I don't know when I'm going to get that email. I don't know when I'm going to meet that person. It challenges the joy, the hope, the peace, and the love. But anticipation has a certainty to it. 
Anticipation has this certainty of I know this thing is coming and it leads to joy, hope, peace, and love. I want to read these two stories this morning about women in Scripture who were told that they were going to have a baby and their reactions because they're very different. The first comes from Genesis. The first one is, is Sarah. So 35 years have gone by. Abraham has promised, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation, all this stuff. 35 years have gone by. And Sarah, at this point, is 89 years old. She's already tried other methods to try to have the the whole, like, hey, we need to, I'm not working, so try my servant. You can have a baby through her. And then that was, she got angry, and it was a whole, it was a whole thing, a lot of drama there. Um, But then we get to this moment where it's finally like, okay, the time has come. So so these these three men, they go, they go to tell them, uh, and it says, man, we skipped, skipped some in that. Why does it say Revelation 21? Okay, there we go. Uh, That's not what that's from. Where is your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself and said, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, I will, really, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah laughs at this, this idea that she's going to have a son, one, because she was 89, right? Like that, okay, I, I kind of get that. But then there's the other part that I think she had just kind of grown, grown calloused in her waiting. It's like, yeah, okay, okay, if you say so. She had reached this point in her waiting that she didn't have the hope, she didn't have the peace, she didn't have the joy, and she was like, yeah, okay. I don't see that that's going to happen. So Sarah's waiting is, is that tired kind of waiting that she had, she had grown callous, she had grown cold. And then you contrast it to somebody who recognizes that God is who he says he is, and he says he is what he says he will do. So that the angel comes to Mary and tells her that she is going to have a baby. Mary, the mother of Jesus, tells her, hey, this is going to happen. And, and her, this is not her immediate reaction, but this is kind of the, the next thing that is mentioned in the story. She goes over uh, to her cousin Elizabeth's house. And this is where the story, where we pick up this morning, uh, is going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 41. It says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. That's John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And so uh, it's like the baby knew, hey, Jesus is here, which I love that. That's one of my favorite things in scripture. Talk about anticipation, right? And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then there's this song that Mary has. It says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost, inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. What a difference in response between Sarah and Mary. And I want to zoom in. What we're going to do today is we're kind of going to zoom in on that that Mary's song section because I think it's a beautiful, beautiful example of waiting with anticipation. It is not a tired groan of waiting, but it is an excited waiting. The themes that are in Mary's song are, are the power and goodness of God and our humility. God's power and goodness. In the song, she uses phrases um, that, that he has been mindful, just the, that he has remembered us, that he is the mighty one. He has done great things. He is merciful. He's done mighty deeds. And he scatters the proud, lifts up the humble, takes care of the hungry. He fulfills his promises. These are all things that point back to the goodness and power of God. And this is a theme that I know that we've kind of come back to several times over the past few months is God's power and his goodness. But I think it's something that we really have got to remind ourselves of because it's two core things about God that the more we understand, the easier it will be for us to follow him. If this, is a, if this is a puny God or a God who is just good sometimes, it would, make him fo- it would make following him much more easy to doubt, right? Like if you are following a tour guide and they're like, you know, I've only lost like 10 or 12 people over the couple years I've been doing this. You'd be like, you're not very good at your job then, right? You'd be like, I'm not so sure I want to follow you. But the more sure we are of God's goodness and God's power, the easier it is to follow him. And, and I do want to cut Sarah some slack, right? Like I, I talked, but like Sarah didn't have all of the knowledge of God that Mary had, you know? Mary had the story of Sarah. Mary, Mary got to see God's faithfulness and that he fulfilled that. She had all of these years that she was able to look back and be like, look at all these things God did. So I do want to cut Sarah some slack that she's like, what are you talking about? I'm going to have a baby when I'm 89 years old, right? And Mary was like, Sarah could have a baby when she was 89. I don't see why I couldn't. You know what I'm saying? So she had a little bit more like reason. She understood God's power and his goodness. One of the things that I have thought about is that when God says something, it is as good as done. I've heard somebody say his speaking is his doing. Have you ever thought about the power of God just in in that concept? Does anybody like superheroes? Anybody? Anybody like superheroes? I love superheroes. Since I was a kid, I've loved Spider-Man, Batman. Those were my favorites when I was growing up. If you want to count Ninja Turtles uh, and Power Rangers, loved them too, right? Loved all of that stuff. So one thing that I like to do when my brain is doing things and I'm bored and I'm waiting, right? You know that when you're waiting and you're like, my brain's got to do something. Uh, I like to think about different superpowers, right? I like to come up with superpowers, what it would be like to have these different superpowers. And the other day I was thinking about this and I was like, what if you had the ability that everything you said came true? That whatever you said would happen. Like you just look at your bank account and you're like, billion dollars. Boom, you got a billion dollars. You're like, this is great. Like, you could just walk into hospitals and be like, hey, uh, everybody's better. You guys can go home. And it just happened, 
right? You think about the power that would be in that, that everything you said just came true. And I started to think about the how incredible that would be and that that really is true of God, that everything he says happens, period. There's no like, oh, well, maybe. No, his power and his goodness, his speaking is his doing. The sheer power that is in his voice is unbelievable. And think about how dangerous that power would be in any kind of like emotional, irrational state, right? Like all the times that you've said something and you'd be like, man, I wish I didn't say that, you know? But, but if you say it and it comes true, all of a sudden that power is only good when you're good. Does that make sense? So when we look at the goodness of God, the fact that he has this power, it's very encouraging, it's very refreshing to us that he is always good, that he's never out of control, that he never says something like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. He is always good. I mean, think about creation. He created it all with his words. Sun, moon, stars, that's my star sound effect, right? trees, water, hippopotamus, you know, he just said it and it all happened. His power is unbelievable. His power is under tight control. He's so generous with it. He cares about justice. He doesn't just let people get away with evil. He doesn't tolerate people hurting or taking advantage of others. He is a good God. Mary's waiting is supported by the fact that she understood these things about who God was. She understood that he was this God of incredible power and that he was good. So whatever his plan was, was going to be good. And you see that in her song that she's explaining. She's like, he's so powerful and he is so good. And the the second theme that she brings up is our humility, our humility. Her song uses phrases like, he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He is merciful to those who fear him. He scatters those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. That's what's crazy to me is it's like, this is not just people who are like loud and proud. This is people who even have like, like in the back of their head, sometimes they're a little bit too proud. It's like he knows about those thoughts that are there. He remembers those who are merciful. When we recognize God's power, it causes us to step into this state of humility. It it helps us to realize our own ineptitude, that it's like, hey, when I compare myself to God, it's not even close. It's foolish for us to think, yeah, I don't don't have to listen to that. I don't don't need to. He's not really talking about me, or he doesn't really understand about my life, right? Like, he doesn't understand what I'm going through. For us to think those things is foolish, and it's to put us in a higher place than God. It's not standing in humility and saying, I need to acknowledge who God is. And the more we know who he is, the more we're going to step into this state of humility. So when the nation of Israel is waiting this 400 years of absolutely nothing, no information, no new words from God, for them to think that he has forgotten or that he isn't real anymore is foolish. 
And it's from a desire that we would be in charge instead of him. Instead of thinking what he has is what's best for me, it's, I can't do this anymore, so I'm going to go find something else. And if you look at that 400 years of silence that took place, that's where most of the Hellenistic Jews happened. They were like, well, haven't heard from this guy in 400 years. Might as well go start being Greek. Might as well start talking about their gods because they're always talking about their gods. They had given up on the power of their God. They had forgotten. They had gone, you know what? Maybe he's not as good and as powerful as we thought. Maybe, maybe I should listen to myself instead of waiting on him. And that's why we, you have those two groups. You have these groups in Israel that, that some of those still waited in anticipation. Some were like, he's coming any day, any day. He'll be here. The Messiah is coming. And then I think there was a group that was like, I mean, he hasn't come yet. Are we, really, are we really still waiting? Maybe we misunderstood. Maybe, maybe we missed something. And it's not quite as we expected. You have the same opportunity. I think that we have also kind of grown into a place where we don't necessarily think that God is coming back as soon as he could be. Right? We think, you know, sometime he'll come back. But we don't truly live in a state of saying, you know what, he's coming back soon. I know it. I know it. Instead of that, we try to look for and, 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 and make signs up out of things. Like we're reading the news and we're like, I think this thing kind of goes along with what he said here. Instead of just actually anticipating. Instead of actually just saying, you know what, he's coming back soon. And I'm ready. I'm excited for it. I'm not trying to figure out and, and decipher how long I have to be in this waiting period. But I'm going to be full of hope and joy and peace and love. As we approach Advent, which is the literal meaning is the arrival, we look to Jesus' first coming and then use it as the the framework and, and recognize that there is a second coming. His Advent, his first coming, is going to be followed by a second coming. And so we are in a period of waiting, right? We are in this period where it's like, okay, We can either choose to wait and be frustrated, or we can choose to wait in anticipation. There's this amazing verse that I found. Psalm 33, verses 20 through 22. This is going to be our framework for Advent. And I found this verse. I was looking for verses about waiting, and I started to really study this verse. Let me me read it first. I'm sorry. I'm too excited. He says, for we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Let me show you what's cool about this verse, right? So it's like, oh, that's cool. Like cool, like encouraging verse about waiting. This is great. All of Advent is encompassed in this verse. What are the four Advent words? Quiz time. Hope, joy, peace, love, right? So we wait in hope for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice. There's joy there. For we trust in his holy name. So trust, you have peace when you can trust, right? If you can't trust, there's no peace. So peace there in trust. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This verse that at first glance looks like it's about waiting points us to Advent. 
So what we're going to do, I know we've, we've tried to memorize scripture before as a church. What we're going to do every week between now and Christmas Day, we're going to read this verse together. I want us to know this verse. This is the verse that is going to be our framework, not just as we wait for the Lord's second coming, but as we look at his first coming, thinking about the nation of Israel and the waiting they went through and the waiting that we go through on, on a daily basis for the things of God and for his second coming. So let's read this together. You guys ready? All right. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. To me, the coolest thing about this verse is not just like, oh, cool, there's like little Advent words in there, right? Like that is, that is a cool thing. But all of it is underscored by this, this phrase, this idea of in him. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice. Our joy is in him. For we trust, our trust is in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So these, these attitudes of, of Advent, hope, peace, joy, love, it's not from you. It's not this like, hey, if I wait right, if I have the right mindset, then I will have these things. No, 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 no. This is we turn to him to get these things. We turn to him and we have our hope in him. We have our joy in him. We have our peace in him. We have our love in him. And our waiting is only going to be anticipation when we are waiting in him. That's how we wait in the Lord. Don't rely on yourself for these things. And just like Mary, part of, part of what makes it easier to be in this sense of anticipation is remembering what God has done. I talked about the difference in, in Mary and Sarah and that Mary could remember, right? She could look back and be like, look at all of these things that God has done. I have this reason, I have this reason, I have this reason. That's what I want us to do today is to remember that's why we have communion set up is we're going to have an opportunity for us to remember what God has done for us as we approach this season of Advent. In this season of waiting that, that you, you might have that you feel like, I have to do all of these things, right? We just talked about how long our list of things we're doing in the month of December as a church is, right? And it's like, oh man, we got to do this and we got to do this and we got to do this and we got to do this. And sometimes the waiting, we just kind of stuff our schedule instead of actually enjoying the anticipation, enjoying being ready for Christmas. Like a kid, right? What is, what is my five-year-old doing to get ready for Christmas? Absolutely nothing. He's just excited about it. It's when we start doing things and we, we forget to remember why that we lose our joy, we lose our hope, we lose our peace, we lose the love. So what I want us to do today is, is to remember. Remember. 